Father, we love you, and Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that from the very, very beginning, from Adam and Eve, from the verse people you put on this earth, you have told by mouth and through written revelation how to be saved. Father, you have told us how to have a relationship with you, how to walk in that relationship with you, and how to spend an eternity in relationship with you. And so, Father, we are thankful that you have done so. Father, we cherish your word. Your word is are the words of life. And it is through your word that we know how to be saved and how to have a relationship with you forever. And so, Father, I thank you for preserving your word and, and, and saving your word. And, Father, we know that your word is under attack all over the world and that even whole countries, powerful countries like China, have decided that they are going to change your word and rewrite it. And so, Father, we, we pray that the believers in China today will, will cherish your true word as it is and as it has been given to, as you have given it to us. We thank you, Father. We thank you for living in a country and placing us in a country in which we have so much freedom and so much access to your word. And so, Father, as we study it during this time, Father, I pray that you, through the Holy Spirit, will awaken our hearts and awaken our our spirits and, and, and open our minds and, and open our ears and, and give us understanding and wisdom to understand your word clearly and then give us the, the, uh, the determination and the, and the strength to, to apply it to our lives. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for your word and we thank you for your love. Father, we thank you for your son. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. So this week, well, no, no, last week, uh, we started in Genesis and we covered chapters 1 through 3 um, about creation. Now, we're, not, we're obviously not going to be able to cover every chapter in the Bible this year as we journey through the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. Matter of fact, we're not even going to be able to cover every book, but we will journey from beginning to end and we will cover the major themes and points in the Bible. Last week we talked about creation in the fall. God created everything in six days. The pinnacle of his creation was people, men and women, who are both made in his image and therefore have inherent and immense dignity and worth from the moment of conception to the moment of death. All people have equal value as image bearers of God and should be cared for, protected, and cherished regardless of age, gender, Race, socioeconomic status, intellectual capacity, perceived quality of life, or whether they are living inside or outside of their mother's womb. All people are knitted together by God, for God, and in the image of God. Psalm 139.13, Colossians 1.16, 1 Corinthians 8.6, and Genesis 1.27. After creation, we talked about the fall, about how Satan has always tried to question, distort, and outright oppose God's word. And that when Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness, Jesus stood up to all of Satan's temptations by correctly quoting God's word that Jesus had stored in his heart. If we want to be able to recognize Satan's schemes and be able to stand against the devil, we too must study, meditate on, memorize, and know God's Word. And the only way to do that is to study it and meditate on it every day for the rest of our lives.
No one's speech is more valuable than God's. No one's words are as important to know and listen to than God's. I would trade all the wisdom of all the wisest people in the world for this book right here. The Word of God. If you're not reading God's Word every day, if you've never read all of God's Word in your life, then I am pleading with you to start doing so today. You can get caught up on the F260 reading plan that we're going through in our discipleship group this year, and you can follow along with us. Um, I can get you a reading plan, and there's also several other ways you can follow the plan. There's a couple of apps. There are Bibles, such as this one. This Bible has the reading plan built into it all the way throughout the Scripture. It's got the reading plan and the devotions in it. Um, there's uh, downloads that you can download offline. There's different ways you can follow along. If you don't have a reading plan you're not currently reading through the Bible, I would encourage you to join us in this plan this year. Very, the reading plan is only five days a week, so you have two days to catch up and only one or two chapters a day. Very rarely are there three chapters, but when there are, they're not very long. And so here's my point. Your eternity is at stake. Your soul. Once God makes you and brings you into existence, you don't ever cease to exist. You will go from this life into the next. And you will continue to exist in the next life. Your soul is now eternal. So your eternity is at stake. And what I'm telling you is do not stake your eternal soul on what some preacher said. Or what your parents said. Or what any human being said. You read what God said. Your soul's at stake. I don't think people think about their eternities near enough. So let me ask you this. If you knew your soul, eternal soul was at stake, which it is, if you come to realize that and accept that, your eternal soul is at stake, and a Hindu guru came in here and started telling you that in order to realize the supreme Godhead, you must surrender yourself before the guru and become his disciple. And you must affirm all religious beliefs as a person's own path to God, and you must not disagree with anyone's journey to nirvana. Would you stake your eternal soul on what he told you? Would you then go and follow him and be his disciple and try to learn what it means to, to, to reach nirvana and reach that state through multiple lives of being reincarnated? Would you stake your soul on that? People do it every day. Would you? Or if a Muslim imam or alama came in here and said that in order to go to heaven, you must denounce all other religious beliefs, and you must denounce your faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, and you must revere Muhammad as the holy prophet and the Quran as God's holy text. Would you do it? I mean, your soul's at stake. If I stand up here, me, 
If I stand up here and say that as long as you believe that Jesus died for your sins and you try to be a good person, then you'll go to heaven when you die. Would you take my word for it? As long as you believe Jesus really lived, and as long as you're a good person, you ain't got to worry about nothing else. Would you take my word for it? I hope not. I hope you wouldn't take any of those scenarios advice. Because none of those paths are what the Bible teaches. You can't be good enough to go to heaven. But that's what this sermon's about, so don't worry, we're coming back to that. The question is, if you decided to take any of those, none of those would end up with you walking through the narrow gate into eternal life with Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 3, He said, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Y'all see that? This is a non-negotiable. This is a non-negotiable. You must be born again if you are going to enter the kingdom of God. He didn't give any alternatives. So something must take place. You must be born again. You must be born of the Spirit of God. Matthew 7, 13 through 14 says this, Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. That's a sobering passage. Jesus said this. Jesus said this. He said the gate... the." The gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to eternal destruction. And many will go through that gate. How narrow is the gate and difficult that road that leads to life. And only a few will find it. That's that's sobering. And your soul's at stake. Your soul's at stake. Everyone in this room, your soul is at stake. So are you going to listen to me or some other preacher or some other preacher on TV or some other religious leader? Are you going to listen to what they have to say? Or are you going to read this and see what God himself has to say? Because I'm not staking my eternity on what somebody else thinks. I'm not. God has shown us in his word that we are often wrong about stuff. And when you have this many people in the world that believe this many different things, it's, it's very important to me that I find out which one of these is true and how can I know for sure. Because it's my eternity at stake. Mine. So I, I, I don't care what anybody else says. I don't. I want to know which one's true. I don't, don't want to know which one I like the best. It doesn't matter which one I like the best. It doesn't matter which one makes me feel the best. The only thing that matters is which one is true. Because truth is all that matters at the end of the day. It's all that matters. So the question is, how can you be sure that you're going to enter through that narrow gate? And can you be sure? Can you? Can you be sure you're going to enter through that narrow gate? Can you have assurance of your salvation? Well, first off, let me tell you this. The scriptures say that you should examine yourselves to make sure that you're in the faith and that Christ lives in you. 
That's, that's first off. The scripture says you should examine yourself to make sure. It says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, it says, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you yourselves not recognize that Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail the test? You see this? The scriptures encourage us and tell us you should examine yourself to make sure that you're in the faith. Because if you're in the faith, then Jesus Christ actually indwells in you. Unless you're not really in the faith. Y'all see that? Matter of fact, this last passage in my Bible, I don't know what your Bible says. It's got a little footnote, D, and it says this last part says, unless you fail the test, it could be translated, it could say, um, or if you're not... Or if you're not genuine. Or, I can't remember the others. I'd have to actually look it back up. But, but in other words, it, can, it, could just, it just means, or if you're not genuinely in the faith. If you're not really in the faith, is what it means. Test yourself and examine to see whether you're really in the faith. Because if you are, then the Spirit of Christ Himself lives within you. That's the seal of the Holy Spirit, the Scripture says. The Holy Spirit is the seal of your salvation. If you are saved, you have the Holy Spirit in you. John wrote in 1 John chapter 5, 13, I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may what? So that you may know. So that you may know. It doesn't say so that you may think or you may be pretty sure or that you can just kind of guess. It says so that you may know that you what? Have. What is have? That is present tense. You currently have eternal life. It doesn't say so that you may know that one day you might be saved. Or one day you will be saved. It says so that you may know that you have currently eternal life. So the scripture and God has told us you can know that you are currently saved. And that's encouraging. Those are encouraging words. So you put those two verses together and what it means is you can examine yourselves and you, after examining yourself, you can know that you are saved. You can. Okay, so those are the other two options that you could say. Instead of or fail the test, unless you fail the test, it could say unless you are disqualified or unless you are counterfeit. Either way. In other words, unless you're faking it. Unless, you, unless, you're not, unless it's not real. Unless you not genuinely have a relationship with Christ. Therefore, Christ is not in you. So you can be sure. So our topic today is salvation. And we're going to come back to that passage that Jesus was talking about. But first, we need to get to today's passage. Okay? Today we're obviously talking about salvation. Genesis chapter 5. The F-260 plan actually skips chapter 5. And you want to know why? In Genesis 5? Because it's just a list of genealogy. And I'm going to tell you that overwhelmingly through the Bible, your list of genealogies really don't have much application for your life today. If you were Jewish, if you were trying to figure out if Jesus was really the descendant of, 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 of the Messiah, was the Messiah the descendant of David, there's reasons the genealogies are important. I'm in no way saying the genealogies are not important. I'm just saying it's hard to read a list of genealogies and come out with something to say, how can I apply this to my life? The, sometimes the best is, I, I hope I live a long life like them. I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to really apply this, but... 
In chapter 5, there is something put in by God that's actually very, very important that I don't want you to miss. So this is what Genesis chapter 5, it's a list of genealogies, and I'm going to sum it up. I'm about to give you the cliff notes of Genesis chapter 5. You ready? Adam was 130 years old when Seth was born, and he was 930 when he died. All right, so I just took about five sentences and put them into one. Adam was 130 when Seth, his son Seth was born, and Adam was 930 when he died. Then it says, Seth was 105 years old when he had Enosh, and he was 912 when he died. Enosh was 90 when he had Kenan, and he was 905 when he died. Kenan was 70 when he had Mahalalel, and he was 910 when he died. Mahalalel was 65 when he had Jared, and he was 895 when he died. Jared was 162 years old when he had Enoch, and he was 962 years old when he died. Enoch was 65 when he had Methuselah, and Enoch never died. Methuselah was 187 when he had Lamech, and he was 969 when he died. Lamech was 182 when he had Noah, and he was 777 when he died. Did you catch something important there? Enoch never died. This genealogy is pretty well just nothing but plain genealogy, plain genealogy, plain genealogy. Right there in the middle, God stuck. Oh, and by the way, Enoch never died. That's really important. Really important. This is why. What happened to Enoch? Well, God told us. So we're going to look at Enoch. Genesis 5, 21 through 24 says this. Enoch was 65 years old when he fathered Methuselah. And after he fathered Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and fathered other sons and daughters. So Enoch's life lasted 365 years. Enoch walked with God. Then he was not there because God took him. Twice it says Enoch walked with God. Matter of fact, before we we stop here too long, I want you to look at the very next chapter. Genesis 6, 5 through 9 says this. Yep, well, we got 5 through 8 up there. When the Lord saw that human wickedness was widespread on the earth and that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time, the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and he was deeply grieved. Then the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I created off the face of the earth together with the animals, creatures that crawl, and birds of the sky, for I regret that I made them. Noah, however, found favor with the Lord. These are the family records of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among his contemporaries. Noah walked with God. Here again, just a few sentences later, we see that Noah also walked with God. This is no coincidence. You want to know how I know this is no coincidence that it just said this about Enoch and it said this about Noah? Because if you search the entire Bible... For the English phrase, now I know we're searching the English, you know, English translates the same word differently sometimes, but we're searching the English phrase. If you search the whole Bible for the English phrase, walked with God, do you know how many times it says walked with God appears in the whole Bible? Three times. Good job. Genesis 5.22 Genesis 5.24, the two times that it said Enoch walked with God, and Genesis 6.9, the time that it said Noah walked with God. If you search walked with God just like that, you'll only find it three times in the whole Bible, right here. That's no coincidence. 
You had a good teacher. Yes, you did. So what's the connection? There's got to be a connection, right? So what's the connection? Enoch walked with God, and what happened? God saved him from death. Noah walked with God, and what happened? God saved him from death. You think the early people didn't pick up on this? So we got to imagine, okay? Well, there's two things we need to take from this. One, I, I need y'all to get, it's really important. The first is about being saved from death, which what we're talking about. That, 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 I'll come back to that in just a second. The other is this. The scripture said that Noah was a righteous man, blameless among his contemporaries. So of all the people on earth, Noah was as good as it gets. Would you agree? He was blameless among his contemporaries. Matter of fact, what I didn't take the time to read to y'all was that the whole world was evil and corrupt and the inclination of every person's heart was evil all the time, God said. But Noah, when it talked about Noah, it said he was righteous and blameless among all those on earth. So he was as good as it got. God gave Adam and Eve a chance to live with him in the garden and not mess things up, but what did they do? They messed things up. God does a do-over with Noah. He wipes out everyone on earth except Noah and his family and starts over with the most righteous, blameless man on the planet. If anybody was going to get it right, it was going to be Noah. The first thing we read about Noah when he gets off the ark is that he makes sacrifices to God, which is exactly what he should have done. He was off to a really good start. The very next thing we read about Noah is that he gets drunk and exposes himself in his tent. And don't get all judgmental on him. Because when Noah got off the ark, God tells us that he is making a covenant with us and that he will never again destroy the earth again by flood. And he places a rainbow in the, in the sky as a sign, right? Y'all remember that? It, actually, he calls it a bow. Why does he call it a bow? He doesn't call it a rainbow. Why does he call it a bow? What was a bow? A bow was a war, a, 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 a war weapon. Okay? It was a weapon. Used in war. And that's what you saw, a bow pointing towards God. And it was the people who had become so violent and evil against God, which is why God had to destroy all the people on the planet. But when he said that, this is what God said. Genesis 8.21, When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, this was the sacrifice that, that uh, Noah had made, He said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of human beings, even though the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth onward. And I will never again strike down every living thing as I have done. Do you all see that? Even though the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth onward. What does that mean? It means your heart and my heart, and Noah's heart, and everybody's heart is inclined toward evil. That's what it means. Your heart is naturally inclined to do evil. It leans toward evil. It doesn't mean it's hopelessly, without any hope, the worst evil it could ever be, even though we think of people in the past and think they got pretty close. What it does mean is your heart is always inclined To lean away from God. (laughs) 
We also, God tells us in Jeremiah seventeen nine, the heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? So Adam had a clean slate and he messed everything up. Then Noah, the most righteous and blameless person on the earth, had a clean slate and he messed everything up. So we need to keep at the forefront of our minds all the time that if we had been given a clean slate, we would have messed it up too. We must always remember in our lives today that our hearts are inclined toward evil. So we need God to give us a new heart, a heart of flesh, and not a heart of stone. Ezekiel thirty six twenty six. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. We must store God's word in our hearts so that we will not sin against God and pray that he will keep us humble and always recognize that no matter how sinful I believe anyone is, I am always just one step away from messing it all up. One step away. Billy Graham. We talk about him. We think he's one of the greatest evangelists in American history. And we don't know of any scandal in his life But you know what? As long a life as that man lived and how good a life that man lived, every single day he was one step away from ruining it all. One step away. I heard a story from a guy on a podcast who had an opportunity to have lunch with him, and I'm not going to share all the details with you, but if you're interested, I can tell you later. But he goes to Billy Graham's house, And he's having a conversation with Billy Graham. They're talking. Billy Graham goes off and does his evening reading after supper. He goes off into his office and does his reading of his Bible, even with guests there. And they talk to his wife, and his wife is telling the story. And this is when when their health was, was going down. And his wife was telling the story about how when she was younger... And they were younger, and he was off. He was at some church or somewhere, and he he had just got done preaching, and there was a woman standing back from the from the altar, not come down to the altar. A lot of people at the altar, but she was standing off, and she was just staring at Billy Graham. And so his wife comes up to her and asks, you know, hey, is there anything I can pray with you about? Is there anything I can help you about? And I'm not going to say exactly what she said. But she said something to her along the lines of, I was just, now I'm just wondering what it would be like to be his wife. Why did I tell you that story? Because Billy Graham had every opportunity throughout his ministry to mess everything up. Because Satan was at work, not only trying to, not just with him, but with other people trying to ruin his ministry. Satan is going to try to stop you when you're being faithful to God. And we have to be humble, and we have to recognize our hearts are inclined towards evil, and we are always just one step away from ruining our ministry, from ruining our reputation. And we must remain humble. Ask God to give us the wisdom to recognize Satan's schemes whenever he tries to attack us. So I want you to put yourself in that time. Let's pretend that you are Noah's great, 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 great grandson or granddaughter. All right, so you're Noah's great, 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 great grandson or granddaughter. And you've been told about how Enoch walked with God and then he was saved from death. And so you immediately say, I want that. I want that. 
I want to be saved. I don't want to die. And then you say, how can I be saved from death? And not just death, but God took him. You know what it means that God took him? It means he took him to be with him. That's what it means. He didn't just save him from death. He took him with himself. So we see from the very beginning that Enoch was in heaven. Enoch had, there's there's an afterlife. And we want to go there. And so you say, how do I get there? The only description that you were given about Enoch, the only road map God gave was that he walked with God. That's all he said. That's all you got. But what does that sound like? It sounds like a relationship, doesn't it? That he walked with him? That sounds like a side-by-side, have a conversation. That's a relationship. God wasn't just haphazard about how he chose to talk about Enoch. He walked with me. We had a relationship together. He didn't just say he just obeyed me. Anybody can obey you whether you have a good relationship or not. He said he walked with me. So now we're getting somewhere. This is what, but this is what their relationship looked like. God described Noah's walk with him too. In, the very, in just a few sentences later, God described Noah's walk with him. And he said that he was righteous and blameless. So now we're starting to see what that walk with God relationship looks like. When all these people are doing evil, Noah is living a righteous, blameless life walking with God. So now we have a picture. What does that look like? So let me ask you this. Was it Noah's righteous, blameless living that earned Noah his place to be saved by God? Would it be easy for somebody to draw that conclusion? You could. If you say, the only two people I know that God saved walked with him, and the only description I have is that they had to be righteous and blameless. You could draw that conclusion. I must be righteous and blameless to be saved. But that's not what God said. He said, matter of fact, he said in Genesis 6, 8, he said, Noah, however, found favor with the Lord. God showed Noah his favor. Noah didn't earn this. God chose to be gracious to Noah. This is grace. God graciously chose to save Noah. But we do see that it was within a relationship. So Noah found favor with God. He didn't earn it. God chose to save him because he loved him. He loved him. Why? Because they had such a close relationship. I mean, just think about it. Think about any relationship you have that's really close to somebody that you love. Do y'all, do y'all just backstab each other all the time? Do you go around and, uh, you know, commit crimes and then plant, plant their, their gloves and stuff to get them arrested for it? <laughs> it's not a very loving relationship, is it? You don't just constantly do evil to somebody that you love in a loving relationship. If you have a good relationship with somebody that you love, you try to do good to them. And that's what some people don't, they don't understand or, picture, or compartmentalize as they say sin. They don't understand that sin is me doing evil to God. They say, why should sin affect my relationship with God? Sin's going to affect your relationship with anybody. Sin against your wife and see how good your relationship with your wife is. Sin against your brother and see how good your relationship with your brother is. 
He loved him because they had a close relationship. God showed favor to Noah. Noah did not work his way to that place. He walked his way to that place. They walked together in a loving relationship together. So how can we be saved? We can be saved by walking with God through faith. That's how we can be saved. So let's get back to what Jesus said earlier when he told us what we must be, do to be saved. Now Jesus, sorry about it being so small. I didn't do anything different this time than I've always done. I'm not sure why. I'll try to figure it out before next week. But um, Jesus is talking to the people, the crowds, and is explaining to them what they must do to be saved. So picture, this is a crowd, and just picture me down there with y'all, and picture Jesus up here. Don't pretend I'm Jesus. I can't do that. But just pretend I'm down there with y'all. We're all sitting as the crowd. We're listening to Jesus, and Jesus is up here teaching, okay? He said, enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. Are you listening to Jesus at this point? Have your ears perked up? I mean, you're sitting around, Jesus is talking, and now he's giving you instruction on how to escape hell and go to heaven. I think I'd be tuned in real clear. You're just going to have to trust me on this one. He said, Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them. So he just warned you, beware of false prophets who are false teachers. You'll recognize them how? He didn't say by their teaching. He said by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. Why? Because a good tree is in a good relationship with the Father. But a bad tree is not. And the bad tree's heart is inclined towards what? Evil, which produces what? Bad fruit. He said, a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, and neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. In other words, what he's saying here in verse 18, if I can just sum it up, you can't fake it till you make it. You can't. You cannot fake a relationship with God. At some point, it will become obvious to everyone. Verse 19, and that's what he's saying. At some point, these false teachers, by the way they live, you will recognize They are not really in a relationship with God. They're faking it. Verse 19, Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, a.k.a. will not enter my kingdom, but will go to hell. Verse 20, So you'll recognize them by their fruit. Verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So now my ears are perking up even more. I'm listening even more intently now. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven, which could be brought back to the what? The good fruit. Only the one who produces good fruit. 
On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you bad fruit producers. He's not, he's not flipping subjects. He's just saying all the same thing over and over. You lawbreakers. He's saying, you can do a lot in my name. You can, you can, you can do a lot in my name because I want those people released anyways. You can, you can cast out a demon in my name because I really care about my child and I want them released from that demon. So you use the name of Jesus and I'm going to cast that demon out whether you have a relationship with me or not. I'm going to do miracles in my name to glorify my name even if I use you when you don't have a relationship with me. So in other words, when you see somebody who's performing miracles and, and healing people and casting out demons and yada, 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 all their signs and wonders don't mean a lick to God. They may not have a relationship with God. He said, only those who are in a relationship with me, only the good trees who produce good fruit, not the people who are faking it. The people who are faking it will not trick me. I see the hearts of all. Therefore, and that's the key word right there. I know y'all can't see it, but it's up here. The very first word. Therefore. So in other words, everything I just taught you, everything I just said about the good fruit and the bad fruit and, the, and, the, and the, those who enter the kingdom of heaven, that the, not many people are going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the road to enter the kingdom of heaven is difficult and it's narrow. But those who enter that kingdom, they are the ones who are going to produce good fruit, not bad fruit. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rocks. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house. Yet it didn't collapse, because the foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. What is he saying? He's saying you can say all you want to say. You can say anything you want to say. You can say anything you want to say to me. You can say anything you want to say to your wife. You can say anything you want to say to a whole people, group of people that you got to follow you. You can say whatever you want to say. But if you're faking it, if it's not real, it's going to show through the way you live. It's going to show by your fruit. And it's going to become obvious to everybody else, and it's always been obvious to me. You cannot fake a relationship with God. And that's what sums up the whole, the whole you know, when Jesus was rebuking all the Pharisees and the religious leaders in the day. Why? Because they were following all the rules. They were following all the rituals. But they were faking their relationship with God. They didn't have one. They didn't care about the poor. They didn't love people. They didn't have a love in them for people because God has love for them and their relationship with God. They were faking it. And Jesus rebuked them and called them out and said, Look, you're not going to enter heaven. And he told everybody around listening, look, if you don't become more righteous than these guys, you're not going to enter heaven either because these guys are faking it. Throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, we see the same thing. You cannot fake it. You can't follow a list of rules and earn it. Noah didn't earn it. 
He had a real relationship with God in which he walked with him. And God loved him and chose him and showed favor to him. And God loves you and has chosen you and shows favor to you. He wants a real relationship with you. You can't come in here and check off a box. You can't come in here and, and complete a list and say, I'm a good person, therefore I deserve to go to heaven. You can't do that. You must enter into a real, loving relationship with God. And that's what he said is the greatest command. What's the greatest command? Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, all your actions. To love God. It's got to be real. And we have people from all kinds of different walks of life, but you know what? Y'all need to count y'all's blessings. Y'all need to count y'all's blessings that, you, that God decided to put your soul in you in a place, in a country, in a time in which you grew up with the Bible. You grew up with God's Word. And you grew up with good teaching that taught you it's not about a list of do's and don'ts, it's about a relationship with God Himself. And you need to count that blessing. Because there are millions and millions and hundreds of millions, if not billions of people, I would say billions of people, who don't have that. They don't have good sound teaching. They don't have somebody studying the Word, explaining it to them. And I'm telling you, don't take anybody's word for it. Don't even take my word for it. I can stand up here and I can preach a convincing sermon whether I'm right or wrong. You read this word for yourself. Because your soul's at stake. Wrestle with it. Embrace it. Trust it. Because it's God's words. And if anybody knows who's getting into his kingdom forever, it's him. He loves you. And he wants a real relationship with you. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. We've all sinned, and the payment for that sin is death. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He said, I know you sinned against me, and the payment for your sin is death. And while you're still sinning against me and deserve death, I still love you, and I'm proving my love for you in the fact that I'm going to come to earth and die for you. So if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and what is Jesus is Lord? It means he's your master. It means you're going to walk with him. It means you're going to walk with him. You're going to follow him. Jesus said, if anybody wants to follow me, the whole talk, the whole relationship, Old Testament, New Testament, it's like a walk. It's a walk. It's a walk with God every day. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart resulting in righteousness and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God doesn't make you earn it. God just asks you to enter into a real relationship with him. A real one. That you would treat him just like you would treat anybody else. If you're going to enter into a real relationship with him, he asks you to quit doing evil against him. Just like anybody would ask you to do. Would they not? I mean, is God unjust for asking us to quit sinning? Absolutely not. Would my wife be unjust if she said, I'll marry you, but you have to quit being evil to me? That's a pretty fair deal. 
All right. I got, I got the good end of that bargain. Your friend. Hey, we can't be friends unless you quit treating me like this. And God says, hey, I gave you life, I gave you breath, I give you life, I hold you, I sustain you, I brought you into existence, I give you everything you could ever think of, you owe it to me. And I want a real relationship with you, a loving relationship with you, in which I love you and you love me, and we have a good relationship forever. All I'm asking is that you quit treating me this way. Quit being evil towards me. Quit sinning against me. That's all I ask. Love me. But the person who can't decide to quit sinning against God is the person who really is having trouble really loving God. That's what it boils down to. I know this is a sin against you and I know it hurts you, but I just... And I know it sounds harsh coming from me, but I'm just saying... I just don't know if I love you that much to give this up right now. And I'm not saying they're evil for that reason. I'm just saying they don't see how good God is. They don't see how much God loves them. We've all been there. Every one of us. Every one of us started off in a place where we did not know how much God loved us. Did we not? We had to be taught. We had to hear it. We had to learn it. You didn't just automatically know how much God loves you. The more I study this word in the rest of my life, I'm going to continue to grow in my knowledge of how much God loves me. It's through all these pages. And that's the offer on the table. Do you really love God? Is it real or are you faking it? Do you have a relationship with Him? Can you tell people about Him? Can you tell me about him? If I were, and I'm closing with this. If I were lost, think about this when you go home. If I were lost, and I got hit in a car accident, but I was still alive, but you knew I wasn't going to make it, and you were on the scene, and you were talking to me, and you could tell I had just a couple minutes left. And I told you, you know, I didn't think this was going to happen. And I know I'm not saved, but I want to be saved. And I know you're a Christian. I've seen you around town. You go to that church all the time. How can I be saved? Would you be able to tell them in two minutes? Would you be able to tell them right off the top of your head, this is what you must do to be saved? And be right? You can tell me anything you want. And be right? And actually be what God said. Because it's only His truth that matters at the end of the day. There's a lot of people out there that after you die will say a prayer over you hoping that it will save you. doesn't work that way. Could you lead someone to Christ in two minutes? If not, I'd get to reading this word as quick as I could. People's lives are at stake. And I pray you never find yourself in that situation. I pray you never have to do that. But you have conversations with people all the time that are lost. And some that are lost and are faking it. Some that are lost and don't know they're lost because they've been taught wrong by a false teacher or a false prophet. And they don't know. Could you lead them to Christ?
Your soul's at stake. My soul's at stake. And everybody you know's soul's at stake. Let's make it our dying work on this earth to study this word like nobody's business. To store it in our heart and share it out of our mouth like nobody's business. Let's have our closing song. Amen. I love y'all. <clears throat> I am so glad that uh, God has led me to this place and to this family that I grew up here and have built these loving relationships with y'all. And uh, I just can't imagine what this world would be like if we didn't have this word. This word has influenced almost everything about the world we live in today. The fact that we were founded by, this country was founded by people who who, who believed this word to be true and believed that God existed and, and God cared about us. And uh, there's a world around us of people that just don't know that. And so we should be his image bearers to the best of our ability. Keith, would you close us in prayer?